Now listen, we talked about crisis. You will be healthier when you face crisis, when you face life, when you understand a couple of truths. If you have your notes with you, let's take a look at them real quick. Crisis, here's what I want you to understand as we start this message today. Crisis from time to time is a natural part of our journey on earth. You can't find anybody in the Bible who didn't go through crisis every now and then. Crisis happened in our life. What makes or breaks us in that time is how we face the crises that we face in our life. Crisis comes for several reasons. One, and and you need to hear this, we have self-inflicted crisis. What's a self-inflicted crisis? A self-inflicted crisis is when we're living outside the boundaries of the Word of God and the fruit of living outside of those boundaries grows in our life. Let me give you for instance. If you don't live a faith-centered life in your home, keeping Christ first in your life, in your home, centered in your home, praying in your home, being faithful to the house of God, making the Word of God your standard for faith and conduct in your home, and your kids grow up and have little interest in the things of God, if God is not alive, if the power of God's presence is not alive in you, in your home, and then they, if you're kind of casual and half-hearted about it, and they grow up and they're cold to it, that's self-inflicted crisis because you didn't plant the right seed in their life. We also have others-inflicted crisis. These are when other people decide to treat you outside the boundaries of Scripture or their decisions impact your life, and you're going through a crisis. This may be uh, a company you work for that decides for whatever reason to close its doors, and all of a sudden you're in crisis. You didn't do that. The company made a decision. You're now going through a crisis. There can be natural causes to crisis. Health issues. Listen, we live in a fallen world, friends. We live in a fallen world, and from time to time we go through health crisis. We go through a loss of a family member. If, you're, if, you, if the Lord doesn't come in the next hundred years, we're all going to face the loss of loved ones. We're all going to face personal health crisis. How do we face them? And then there are spiritual causes for crisis, where the enemy tries to put pressure on you, maybe through others, through rejection, or through attacks by others, and now you're going through a crisis in life because of the rejection, because of the pressure that's on your life. Knowing the source of the crisis reveals to us how to deal with the crisis, how we face it. And so I've got to, got to understand it. And the, the biggest, the, the two really defining points are, is this a self-inflicted crisis or is this a crisis that comes from outside of me? Because if you're in a self-inflicted crisis, until you fix the cause of the crisis, until you fix what you're doing inside of yourself and get that back in the boundaries of God, you're never going to get out of the crisis. When you understand that it's an others-inflicted crisis, now you understand how to stand in faith in the middle of that crisis. 
So let's stand together today and let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. The Bibles are standing for faith and conduct. Let's see what the Bible has to say about issues like this in our life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, I want to read this passage for you today. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction, okay, of the crisis we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength and we, that we despaired of life itself. That's a pretty bad crisis, isn't it? Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he, might, that, that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Father, we thank you for this insight from your word and uh, for how you touch our lives, that we are not alone, that you are our ever-present help in times of trouble. And Lord, we pray that today you'd let that live within us and let us know how to walk in you and how to discover that ever-present help each day in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul, as an apostle, was a church planner. He would travel into places that never heard the gospel and present the gospel and plant a church. He had done this at, he had done this at Corinth. He had gone into Corinth and planted, planted this church. Now, how Paul would normally do that is he would go into the local synagogue. He was Jewish, so he would go into the local synagogue. He knew the, the traditions. And in the middle of this, of being in the synagogue, he would proclaim that the Messiah had come. They were all looking for the Messiah. And he would proclaim that the Messiah had come. He'd come in Jesus, and he would show them through Scripture why Jesus was the Messiah. In most accounts, in most accounts, what this did was it stirred crisis. Instead of everybody getting excited and receiving this message, it wouldn't be long until the synagogue rulers would be jealous of what was going on and there would come conflict. This had happened in Corinth and out of it he had left the synagogue, gone out on his own, and some had gone with him and he planted the church. Time would go on and he moved on as, a, as an apostle and he would leave this fledgling church. But from time to time he would go back to visit these fledgling churches and he would send letters of instructions to them to help them continue on their journey of faith. What we have here in 2 Corinthians is what we believe to be Paul's fourth letter to the church of Corinth. After his first time in Corinth, he'd received some concerning news and he had written his initial letter to them. This letter is lost to us. It's referred to in 1 Corinthians. We don't have that letter. It was never made part of the canon. It was never kept. It was not divinely inspired. Uh, what we have in 2 Corinthians, again, 
is this fourth letter to the church. So this letter, the first letter's lost to us. On his third missionary journey, he had heard more troubling things out of Corinth and got a letter from them asking several questions and he had responded to them in what is his, was his second letter that we now call 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is this letter of instruction to Corinth dealing with some problems, some inner rivalries, some problems in the church, and giving them clear instruction about many issues that were facing the church. 1 Corinthians, that letter, helped the people at Corinth, but a new threat arose. False teachers came into Corinth, and they began to attack Paul's integrity, and they began to attack Paul's authority. Paul found it necessary to return to Corinth. This trip was not a good trip. It was a painful trip. There was conflict. There were issues between him and the people. It did not go well. He leaves Corinth, goes back to Ephesus at that time, leaves Corinth, and he sends them a third letter. This letter is referred to in what we call 2 Corinthians as the severe letter. It was a very corrective letter, apparently, and it really challenged the things that had gone on throughout the time when he was there. This letter is also lost to us, but it moved the needle in a positive way with the people in Corinth. Later, as Paul was preparing to return to Corinth, he wrote his fourth letter, what we call 2 Corinthians. And it's really important as you read 2 Corinthians to understand this is a book of passages. He's dealing with subjects and passages. And, and as you look at this book, you've got to look at the subjects that he's dealing with. This is especially important when you're facing crisis in life. To understand this truth, that the Bible is written not as a book of individual sayings. We have taken the book, man has, we've divided it into chapters, we've divided it into verses, but that's not the way it was written. It was written as a consistent revelation, and it becomes important if you're going to understand the promise of an individual scripture, to understand the context of that scripture, what it's being said, and not just simply pulling a verse out. You can get a completely wrong message by pulling individual verses out. Just like today, if you went out of here and just took one thing that I said, you could tell people something completely contrary to what the overall message of the day was. You've got to look at the context uh, of that message. Now, I will tell you, there are key scriptures uh, in, there's, there's key scriptures, there's key verses that you find inside of the Bible. A key verse is a verse that encapsulates a doctrine in one verse. It may encapsulate the purpose of a book, 
of one of the books of the Bible in a key verse. I'll give you one. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This encapsulates an entire doctrinal message of Scripture for us that is supported by the rest of Scripture. And so from time to time, we come to these key passages that bring this revelation. However, not every verse is a key verse. Not every verse is one that we can build an entire doctrine upon. Many verses are simply a brick in the house of doctrine. And one brick does not a house make. I've got to have the rest of the bricks to understand the fullness of the message of God about that subject. So I can pull something out, try to stand upon it, but what I'm standing on would be like trying to balance on one brick. I want to be surrounded by the house of the truth of that doctrine, and it becomes very important going through crisis that I understand that, that I look at the fullness of the passage, a passage of what's dealing with this issue in my life, and I get an overall picture of what God is saying. Sometimes we take that one verse and hold on to it as if the whole lesson of Scripture on the subject is, is on that one verse. But I've got to be careful and search out what all of Scripture says. You think about this and the issue of finances. The Bible doesn't just say one thing about finance. It says a lot of thing about our, things about our finances. It doesn't just say one thing about our family and how to raise our family. It gives us a lot of instruction about how to raise our family or about health or about persecution or about rejection. So today, as we look at this passage, we are looking at a passage that's dealing with crisis, and there are several lessons inside of the passage. Paul tells them about the crisis he's been through. Now, even in this passage, the whole of understanding about crisis is not revealed here. There's other things that we can learn as we go through crisis. But as we look here, we're going to learn a couple of key lessons. Number one, we, we, we get this. Telling people about our trials is not a weakness. It's not a lack of faith to say you're going through a trial. It's not a, a, a condemnation of your faith and your belief to face up to the fact that you're going through a health crisis, that you're going through a financial crisis, that you're going through a family crisis, that you're going through a spiritual crisis. There's some teaching that goes around today that, that, that almost wants to treat these things as if we say them, that we're confirming them, and that we're admitting them, and we're having a lack of faith. Paul readily tells them, he goes, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I don't want you to be unaware of what we have been through. Now, he doesn't tell them. He doesn't go into a great deal of, of, of uh, specifics about what this individual crisis was. If you go in the book of Acts, it could be one of several things that he went through during that time. In fact, if you look at Paul's life, it seems to be that he traveled from one crisis to the next. That in the course of being an apostle, 
there was a spiritual power against him that was going to come against him outside of how good he was, outside of what teaching he gave, outside of whatever other thing he tried to do, that there was a spiritual attack that was going to come against him, and he was traveling almost from crisis to crisis to crisis. Now, he would have extended times in cities of ministries that we believe would, he would have some level of peace, but it seems like they almost always ended up in some form of crisis. And he, he tells them that he'd just been through one. He tells us, think, try this on, that there was great pressure. Do you understand that? When you're in crisis, there's great pressure. You feel that pressure. Maybe it keeps you from sleeping. Maybe it impacts your health. He, he says about this crisis, it was beyond our ability to endure. So we, this was overwhelming. It was absolutely overwhelming. Crisis captures our attention. It, 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 it overwhelms us. And he faced the fact, it, it was beyond my, my ability to, to deal with it. To the point, he says, that we despaired of life and felt the sentence of death. He thought he was going to be killed. He thought his life had come to an end. Many of the great crises in the Bible end with the miraculous intervention of God. Those are encouraging stories, aren't they? They end with God intervening on this earth. But don't mistake the fact that sometimes crises lead us to the end of our time on this earth. You look at all the martyrs of the Bible. These are all people who face great crisis and attacks. And the end of the day is God allowed them to walk through that crisis and come home to be with him. So not every crisis ends with God answering here. Sometimes our crisis ends with God answering there. And that's not bad news, friends. That's good news. Christ put, Paul put it this way. To live as Christ, to die is gain. And the man of faith understands that. He gets that. So when we are in a crisis, we like to read those stories about where God delivers. And thankfully, he does many, many times. We're to hold on and believe and put our hope in God. But there's a passage of great faith that I want you to capture with me today. See, we, we look at, at, at somebody like David and and David goes out to face the giant, and David says, he gives us this great lesson about, uh, they say, how do you, you, you're just a young boy, you're going to go face this great warrior. What makes you think that you can defeat this warrior? And he tells a story about this fact that, hey, I have been a shepherd, and as a shepherd, we know he was, left, he was the youngest of the family. He was left out at night with the sheep. And he says there were times when a bear came and when a lion came, and God came upon me and gave me the power, and I defeated the bear and the lion. So this giant Philistine here, he's no problem. As God delivered me there, God will deliver me here. Now, there's a lesson in that about crisis. Sometimes the little crises we face, and I would think facing a bear or a lion would seem like a pretty big crisis to me, lead us to prepare us for facing the giant. And to face that giant with faith. 
But there's another story in the Bible that I find really interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a story of, the, uh, of the, the exiled children of Israel in Babylon. And these, these, these sharp young men have been taken to Babylon. And they are now under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. And they have things that they're supposed to be doing. And Nebuchadnezzar comes to this day where he, he decides he's going to build this, uh, he's going to build the statue of himself and everybody's going to bow down and worship it. And these three, three of the Hebrew children, just three of them, decide that that would be compromising their faith and against the commandments of the Lord to do that. And they decide they're not going to do that. And because they make this spiritual decision that they are not going to dishonor God by bowing to this idol, they find themselves in crisis. They find themselves face to face with Nebuchadnezzar. And they find themselves about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, I don't know about you, but I would consider that a moment of crisis, hey? You got somebody about to throw you into a fiery furnace, uh, I would think that would be a pretty serious moment. And he's telling them, if you don't do what I tell you to do, this is what's going to happen. And you're, no, no God can save you. And this is their response to him. I want you to listen to it carefully. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Amen. That's good news, isn't it? And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But, now listen to verse 18. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. See, look, God's able to deliver us. One way or the other, he is going to deliver us. But if he doesn't deliver us by setting us free from this fiery furnace, no matter what you do, no matter what happens in the outcome of this crisis, we're going to serve God. We're going to honor God. This is a determination of a person who has faith that God is real, that they love God, that God has their best intent in heart. It's a great statement of faith that God can do this, but even if he doesn't, we're going to be fine. Now, here's three big mistakes in crisis. One is blaming God. Got to be real careful about blaming God. Here's the second mistake. I see people, they get angry at God. Why did God let this happen? We don't have all the answers all the wise. Our call is to put our faith in God and trust him. And here's the third big mistake people make. Cutting themselves off from the people of God. Instead of being faithful to the house of God, instead of being faithful to their small group, instead of being around other people who have, of faith, they cut themselves off from people of faith. Don't make those mistakes when you're in crisis. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to let crisis teach you the lesson of dependence. What did Paul say? This happened. He, he comes down to this happened because they were really bad people. This happened because we, you know, we did something dumb and got ourselves in big trouble. No, what does he say? This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. 
When you're in crisis, it's a free fall. There seems to be nothing you can grab a hold of. You can't change it yourself. You can't do anything about it. You're out there on your own. And it's in this moment that smart people, many people, in crisis come running to God. Their prayer life increases. If they're smart, the church time increases. They get around more believers if, if they can. But here's, here's the thing I've seen many times happen. When the crisis is over, they return back to normal. Instead of keeping their life at this place where they are dependent upon God, they don't return the lesson. Or they don't learn the lesson. In all of life, we are dependent upon God. There's a lot of teaching about humility. And I, I, most, of, most of what I hear as Christian teaching about humility is teaching about worldly humility instead of biblical humility. Let me give you a clear definition so whenever you hear this, you can understand what biblical humility is. Biblical humility is recognizing our dependence on God for all things. For all things. I depend upon God for my health. I depend upon God for the next breath that I take. I depend upon God for his peace in my family. I depend upon God for every aspect of life. I can only do so much what the fruit that comes out of that comes by the power of God doing his will through my life. I am totally depending upon him. This is a statement of faith. Listen, hear me. You got some of you. This is a statement of faith I make when I tithe. God, I'm not my source. You're my source. I make a decision. I depend on you. This is a statement of make we, that we make when we pray over the issues of life. We pray for our family. God, keep our marriage in, 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 in unity. Instead of going around there, well, we're smart enough. We've got it all figured out. No. I'm praying, God, help me to stay smart enough to do the right things. I'm dependent upon God. God, help me to raise my children. It's this recognition that I need the power of God flowing through my life. I learned this lesson, and, and I learned it many times in crisis, that because crisis is when you're in that free fall, and you, you, you realize in that moment, you have no control. You need God. And it takes us back to understanding our dependence upon God. Biblical pride is thinking we can do this ourselves. We don't need God. Now what, is, what comes after pride? A fall. What happens? When you're in pride and you think you got it all together and you think you got it, God says, okay, let's just see how far you can go. Remember when you're, you learn how to ride a bike and maybe your dad was running behind you holding the seat of the, and you think, boy, I got it, and then he lets go? I don't want God to let go. I want God to hold on to my life. Now, here's the third lesson I get in this. I've got to learn to think right. Paul writes, on him we have set our hope. When we're in crisis, the call is don't give in to despair. You belong to God and in eternity, he promises great reward to the faithful in times of crisis. Great reward to those who are faithful in times of crisis. 
So we put our trust in him and we lean into him and we count on him and we believe in God's power. And we put our hope fully in him. Not in the decisions we're going to make, but in fully in him. And here's the last thing I want you to capture. The prayers of many help. I'll admit, I've struggled here a bit recently. You know, I hear people, I'm talking, you've got all these people praying for me, thousands of people praying for me, praying, praying, people praying all around the world. Uh, do we, and, and I find myself struck, do we really need hundreds of people praying for us? I mean, after all, the prayer of a fervent man availeth much. I mean, what's the difference between one person praying or a thousand people praying for me? Uh, truly doesn't make, and, and I understand that the prayer of one person can make a difference. However, God reveals here in this passage that there is something about many prayers that help. I've heard this testimony many times from people saying that they sense, feel in the middle of crisis the prayers of people. Now this isn't, uh, this isn't sending good thoughts their way. I said, read that on Facebook. I'm sending good thoughts your way. That's a bunch of New Age Huey, friends. I'm telling you. It doesn't accomplish anything. All of my good thoughts, all of my good wishes doesn't do anything. My prayers do something because God says he answers prayers. He answers our prayers. And Paul's saying to him here, listen, your prayers have made a difference and I want you to continue praying. The next time you read through the New Testament, especially Paul's writing, look at how many times he calls people to pray for him for something because he believes that their prayers make a difference. So take note of this. Take, take note of the, times of, uh, of the times of the Bible where it says that. And recognize, this is why you have C2 groups. When you're going through crisis, don't be afraid to tell your C2 group and ask them to pray for you. Don't be afraid to call and put your name on the prayer list and get people to pray for you. Don't be afraid to be open about your need. So we come to Easter and you're going to invite someone to church? Have people pray with you. I'm going to invite my son. I'm going to invite my daughter. I'm going to invite my neighbor. I'm going to invite my coworker. Pray with me that they'll receive this. Contact your friends. Include people in this prayer. Because see, friends, as we pray, God does this. And Paul says that when we do this, that he will continue to deliver. I want you to hear one of our stories today about a time a person walked through crisis and what God was saying to them in the middle of it all. Ben, would you come share with us, please? This is my story. In the fall of 2013, I started my senior year of college. That semester, I started an internship with River Valley Church as a youth leader and a young adult small group leader. I also got my first apartment with two of my friends from the dorms. I was, walking, I was working towards completing my first degree in pastoral studies. Over the course of that year, though, I started to notice that something was wrong. I began to get tired, and I always chalked it up to stress and lack of sleep. At the time, I was working almost 30 hours in my internship, another 20 in my part-time job, as well as keeping up with my schoolwork and trying to have some semblance of a social life. 
you know, normal college stuff. Over winter break was even more difficult. I was always tired. I would sleep and I would feel even more unrested when I woke up. I also started having sinus issues. I could feel my lymph nodes swelling. One of the lymph nodes on the left side of my neck was large and I went to a minute clinic and asked the doctor about it. He told me not to worry about it unless I started having some pain. So I headed back to North Central for my final semester. The day before I was gonna start my first shift back at my part-time job, I got really sick. I felt terrible. I slept for 18 hours straight, woke up, called into work sick, and slept for another 15. At that point, I knew something was wrong. I went to the doctor and had them test for mono. I figured that over the semester uh, previous, I had contracted some sort of sickness from the cafeteria, you know, student workers. <clears throat> but while I was talking with the doctor, it became apparent that this was not, a mon not mono. The doctor did some preliminary testing and blood work and told me that I had cancer. I found out later that I was diagnosed with stage three, nearing stage four testicular cancer. The lump on my neck was actually a tumor, and I was by myself when I heard this news. I almost immediately went into shock. I walked back from the doctor to the dorms with my head swimming in fear. Waves of emotion flooded my head, and I felt paralyzed as I realized that this could actually kill me. I'm standing here in front of you today to tell you that God is faithful. He's faithful in the worst storms of life, he's faithful in times of good, and he's in faithful in times of crisis. And I was certainly in a crisis. <clears throat> During that time, there were a few things that brought me through. Prayer, people, and provision. I walked back to the dorms and immediately found my mentor. He took a break from his meetings to speak with me, and I told him the news. He sat there for a minute and was really at a loss for what to say. He then spoke up and asked if he could just pray for me. He prayed a very simple prayer. All he asked that God would give me peace. And at that moment when he prayed, I felt a fog lift. All of the shock and stress left the room, and I felt peace. I felt the presence of God fill that room, clarity come back, and I knew exactly what I needed to do. After the meeting, I began to let others know about my situation. The call home was especially difficult. I told my parents the news over Skype, and they frantically started looking for plane tickets. I asked them to wait a week until I could withdraw from school and handle all of my affairs in Minneapolis. I met with many of my friends and told them the news. Their reactions ranged from uncontrollable crying to asking tons and tons of questions. I started to ask people to pray for me and I, as I entered this new season of life. During that week, I went to a Youth Tuesday Night Prayer uh, led by Jeff Grinnell. Jeff prayed for me during that meeting and came over to me. He told me that every time someone prayed for you, I needed to check the tumor in my neck to see if God had healed me, which is excellent advice. However, when Jeff prayed for me, I heard God speak to me very clearly. He said, Ben, you're in it for the long haul. And that statement sunk so deep, I knew that this crisis was only going to be momentary, but even if the cancer claimed my life, God would still be faithful. During my time at home, I was fortunate enough to have a really solid support structure. 
My family was there to take care of me. All the people around the world were praying for me. When I stopped counting, there were people in 14 different states and seven other countries, all praying for my recovery. The body of Christ really surrounded me and my family. In fact, one family heard about my situation and decided to help. Now, here's the connection. It was my neighbor's sister's church's secretary. They reached back out through that chain and opened up their home to us whenever we were in town for chemo. Uh, they provided us meals and a warm bed. They were phenomenal. <clears throat> I could honestly be here all day talking about the ways that God provided for my needs during that time. And I'll tell you about one other. My general practitioner at home was working towards getting me into a hospital. And he finally set me up with a lung specialist. However, when I met with the lung doctor, he was confused as to why I was meeting with him. I'd never smoked a day in my life, and he thought for a moment. Then he said he'd be back, and he brought his colleague from the other side of the hospital to meet me. The doctor he brought back specialized in my particular type of cancer. In fact, what I found out later was that the lung doctor's colleague was the number one doctor in the nation specializing in my particular type of cancer. God really does provide. It may seem like everything is going wrong. It may seem like God's not there. It may seem like God has forgotten you. And you may be going through a health crisis, but you might also be going through a financial or relational crisis. I don't know your story or where you are today, but I know that God is present. I know that God provides, and I know that the body of Christ is here to help you. My health crisis was not easy. There were days that were really difficult. I was 23 years old when I was diagnosed with cancer, and I had to move back into my parents' home. If you knew me back then, I prided myself on being self-sufficient and independent, and those ideas quickly became impossible as I continued my recovery. I went through three rounds of chemo, each round tougher than the next. After chemo, I went through two major surgeries. I had surgery on my abdomen and my lung. When I was diagnosed, they told me I had multiple tumors throughout my body. The cancer spread through my lymph nodes. They also told me I had a nine centimeter tumor in my lung. Finding out I had cancer certainly was a shock, but when I look back on my situation, after everything had taken place, I realized that God had been preparing me for everything. I didn't make the connection until later, but God started the process six months prior. Whenever I would feel stressed out or have some financial issue or just needed to hear his voice, he'd always say the same thing to me. He would say, Ben, do you trust me? It was the only thing he would say, do you trust me? It may seem like a simple question, but it has huge implications. On the one hand, if you tell God no, then you have some pretty big issues that you need to confront about not being able to trust God. However, if you said yes, then you have to give up every single complaint or issue you have with your circumstance. God asked me that, that question so many times prior to my diagnosis that he did not ask me when I found out. I stand before you today cancer-free, on November 26th of this year, I'll hit my five-year mark of being cancer-free. God really does provide. He is present, and the body of Christ is active and willing to surround you if you'll open up and allow people to impact your life. This is my story. I'm going to ask prayer teams, if they would, to come up to the front. 
wherever you're at prayer teams, please move on up to the front. In Psalm 46.1, it says this. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. When I listen to Ben's story, I think about the earth giving way. That's what it would feel like, wouldn't it? Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Whatever crisis we face, the lessons are simple. Never stop trusting God. Never stop obeying God. Never stop praying and seeking God. And never start, stop connecting with others that God brings into your life. Let's stand together today. This morning, we're just going to sing this song and worship the Lord today. And if there's something going on in your life where you need the touch of God, you need the strength of God. I've seen people uh, just like Ben, the guy said, no, you're in this for the long haul. He's let them walk through the circumstances. I've seen others where God set them free in a moment. All of that's in God's hands. What's in our hands is that we trust God. If you have any crisis in your life, any issue you need prayer for in your life, I'm going to encourage you to come down. Maybe somebody can come with you if you want them to. And these folks down here are just going to simply pray with you for God to move in your life right now as we sing this song, Come. The day's going to come when the hour of crises are ended. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to be under the rule of Christ, and crises will be over. While we're on this earth, we're going to face crises from time to time. Trust God. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Again, if you're going through that today, make sure you come. Now listen, listen. God's already answered the greatest crisis of our life. The greatest crisis of our life is we're going to stand before Him someday and be judged. And if we stand before Him on our own, we're going to be lost for eternity. But God's already sent His Son to pay the price for our sin. And Jesus has already come and died on the cross so that all of us can make heaven our home someday. But friends, you have to take that step to recognize the crisis of your soul and the answer that is in the name of Jesus. And today, as others are coming for other reasons for prayer, if you're not certain that you've done that, you come down. One of these folks will be happy to pray for you. Make sure that today you deal with the greatest crisis of life. And that's our separation from God. Don't leave here without it. Hey, I love you. God loves you. He's a very present help in times of trouble.